What's happening in Hume Lake? How you doing? Yeah? Did you have a good day? Nice. Good. I'm glad to hear it. It was nice to meet some of you. Thanks for saying hey. I know uh, first day is a busy one, so some of you, you know, I talked to really briefly. Some of you sat down and said hey. It's nice to chat, and I look forward to meeting more of you as the time goes on. As we dive in here, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1 again. We're going to finish out the rest of that chapter before we move on tomorrow into 2 and 3. But uh, just while you're turning to Daniel chapter 1, let me give you a refresher about what we talked about this morning. Looking at just the first six verses of Daniel chapter 1, we saw that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who are represented in our video as these three characters, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their hometown and their entire country was overthrown by the Babylonians. God handed the people of Judah over to their enemies the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar came in, he sacked their city, he took all, even all of their holy objects, and he put them in the temple of his pagan god. And what we talked about this morning, number one, was that even though that's a terrible thing to have happened, and these guys have been through some terrible trauma, and like all, all of this horrendous stuff happened, that wasn't evidence of God's absence from the story, but God was still present in the story. That in fact, what was happening to the people of Judah, as it's conveyed to us in Daniel 1-2, is that God had handed them over to their enemies because they'd refused to listen to him. So part of the issue that we were talking about this morning is that in our own lives, God is present. God's redemptive power is at work. We just have to be able to pay attention to that. Now with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we also talked this morning about the fact that when you're in a different culture that doesn't respect your faith, that doesn't really know anything about your faith or your culture, and actually cares more about just building their own power, they're gonna face some obstacles. There's gonna be some hostility. There's gonna be some difficulty. And all of us, like these young men, are gonna be forced to make a decision. Whether we're gonna blend in, remember we talked about the fact that you have a choice to just sort of go along with the culture and blend in, or to stand up and fight the culture, right? And that the church has sort of traditionally swung on a pendulum there, but that there is a middle way. And that that middle way is to not be influenced by the culture, but rather to be an influencer of the culture. To not be conformed by the external in, but to be a transformative presence on the inside that changes the world. And by the power of God's spirit within us, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we recognize that we aren't really exiles. We haven't been removed forcibly from our world, but rather we're sojourners, we're pilgrims, we're ambassadors, right? That God has called us here to have this sort of double citizenship. Jesus has said we can live in the kingdom of God, but we still live in California or Arizona or wherever you're from, and you have the opportunity to be an emissary or an ambassador of God's kingdom, no matter where you go to school or what your life looks like, God can use you, right? As we come back to Daniel chapter one, now we're gonna see the first of many tests sort of presented to these guys. And we saw it represented really well on screen, but let's read this together just so you have it fresh in your mind. We left off in verse six this morning. Let's read that again as we begin. It says, among those uh, who were taken from Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Verse seven. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. It's important for you to know, and, and Mikey talked about this last night, but these aren't just Babylonian names. 
These are Babylonian names that honor the Babylonian gods, right? So we talked this morning about the fact that the Babylonians were not monotheistic. They didn't worship one god, Yahweh. They were polytheistic. They worshiped many gods. And in fact, they would just sort of add any new god of a kingdom that they assimilated. they just add that new god to their pantheon, right? So these particular names that they give to Daniel and his friends are not just random Babylonian names. These are names, like what we saw on this, you know, the, the, the trashers, they worship uh, the tide. And the names they gave to these three were what? You know, driftwood and seaweed. They're names that represent their pagan worship. These are the names that are given to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Belteshazzar. Pick it up with me in verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. The king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Would you pray with me as we begin? God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Hume Lake. What a great place to be. What a great place to spend time with our friends and our family, with our youth groups, with other people from places maybe we've never even met. A great place to get away from all the distractions of the world and have the opportunity both to have some fun, but also to like quiet our hearts, to turn off so many of the distractions and to listen for your voice. God, we pray that in this sacred place, this place where you have met with people over and over over the last 65, 75, 80 years, that you would meet with us tonight, that you would speak to us and that we would hear you and that we wouldn't just hear your voice, but that we would hear your voice and it would change us, that it would be a catalyst for transformation in our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So Daniel and his friends are facing their first major test, right? After being taken into captivity, they're facing their first major test. I don't know how you do with tests. Uh, some of you probably are aces. You get straight A's. You're really good at tests. Other people, maybe not so much. I wasn't necessarily a great test taker. And even in just sort of the regular tests of life that come my way, I will admit to you that sometimes I don't, uh, I don't do too great. I remember a time when my, when my oldest son, Jack, was like, two or three years old, and we're driving in the car, and I'm listening to, I listen to a lot of different kinds of music, but some of the music I listen to is very loud, and sometimes there's less singing and more yelling. You know what I'm talking about? You've heard that kind of music before? Not all my music is like that, but some of it is. 
So I'm listening to a little bit of that in my car on this particular day. My son Jack's in the back seat, in the car seat. And my wife looks over at me and she goes, can you please turn this music down? And I, I looked at her and I was like, oh man, you are such an old lady. And I turned the music up a little bit, right? And I was just kind of giving her a hard time. And uh, I didn't really think anything about it. And then we go to the bank. My wife gets out of the car to go up to the ATM. And I hear this little voice from the back seat. It's my kid. And he goes, Daddy. And I look at him in the rearview mirror, and he goes, Daddy. So I turn the music down, and he's like, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> and I was like, what? I'm like, no, what do you mean? And he goes, Mommy asked you to turn the music down, and instead you turned the music up. And I was like, yeah, but I was just kidding. I was just kidding with mommy. I was teasing her like, I was just joking. That's what married people do. We just like to give each other a hard time, you know? And he goes, Daddy, you said we shouldn't tease the people we love. And so I turned around and I punched him in the face. And I was like, shut up. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, uh, I wanted. <laughs> no, I didn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't clap for that. But number two, I didn't do that. But there was a part in my guts, right? The reason we're responding the way we are is we all know we don't like to be told we're wrong. We don't like to be told what to do. And now I got this sassy little three-year-old in the backseat trying to talk to me like he's a know-it-all. So I just looked at him and I was like, you know what? You're, you're right. I should be nicer. My wife gets back in the car a few minutes later. I was like, hey, sweetheart, I'm really sorry about the way I was talking to you before. She's like, are you okay? Because... <laughs> I don't apologize enough. And uh, anyway, I thought that was the end of the story. But two days later, you guys, uh, we're, it's Thanksgiving, right? And we're at, my, um, we're at my in-law's house in Las Vegas, and we're sitting down around the Thanksgiving table, right? And we do this thing where we pass the plates around. I don't know how they do it at your house, but at my uh, in-law's house, everybody takes their plate and you pass it, and then you just kind of serve up whatever food's in front of you. So my plate's going around. And my plate comes around the table, and it gets over to my mother-in-law, and my mother-in-law is serving up what she calls uh, her world-famous broccoli casserole. Now, I'm just going to let you know right out of the gate that my mother-in-law's broccoli casserole is an abomination. I don't know what's in it. It smells disgusting. I don't know if she cooks it in an old sock. I'm not sure what's, I'm not sure what's involved. I do not want any of that disgusting, coagulated mess. And so... She says uh, at the dinner table, I mean, it's, we're, it's like aunts and uncles, my three-year-old sitting there, my wife, we're all there celebrating Thanksgiving. She goes, Darren, would you like some of my world-famous broccoli casserole? And I was like, no, ma'am, it smells like a dead body. And uh, my three-year-old, just like this, he goes, Dad, remember what we talked about in the car? <laughs> a double reprimand, y'all. Like, it wasn't just in the car. And of course, then all my in-laws are like, huh? And I'm like... Yesterday, Jack just had to kind of talk to me about my attitude. <laughs> right? And I tried to shake it off. You guys, I failed that test, right? And when I retell that story, I think like that is such a terrible moment where I could have done the right thing, I could have made corrections, and I blew it. There are times in all of our lives where we pass tests like that, and there are moments in our lives where we fail tests like that miserably. And as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, right, as emissaries of the Lord Jesus on earth in a culture that a lot of times doesn't understand what we believe, certainly doesn't think Jesus has risen from the dead, doesn't believe that Jesus is the creator and king of the universe, there's all kinds of things that the people we go to school with, the people we work with, the people we interact with in our neighborhood, they don't know about what it means to live in the kingdom of God, they don't know much about Jesus, and what they do know sometimes is distorted by the image that other people have falsely represented him to be. In a world like this, there are going to be tests that come up. 
There are going to be moments where your friends look at you and they're going to tell you a joke and they're going to be watching to see whether you laugh at it or not. There are going to be moments where people invite you to participate in things or they invite you and kind of test your integrity about whether or not you're going to be honest or whether you're going to be arrogant or whether you're going to be greedy or whether you're going to be racist or sexist or classist or whatever. And none of those things are fitting with the character of the Lord Jesus. We're going to face these tests, and the question will be, what do you do when it's on the line? In Daniel chapter 1, there's an interesting thing that happened. We already talked about the fact that they were going to have to make a decision between fitting into the culture or fighting the culture, and instead they make this decision to find this middle ground where they influence the culture for God, right? And they're very successful at that. In this particular case, one of the ways that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are successful, or one of the ways that they thread that needle, is by saying yes to some things and by saying no to other things. Let me say that again, because I don't want anybody in the room to miss it. Daniel and his friends do not say no to everything the Babylonians ask them to do. In fact, there's some pretty prominent things that they agree to, right? The Babylonians give them pagan names, Names that honor false gods. And Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael do not object to that. They don't say, we're not taking your crummy names. Those names, are, those names are heretical. They're awful. We can never use them. They don't object. They take the false names that are given to them. They don't reject the training that they're given. They don't reject the education that they're given. They don't reject the positions they're given in the government eventually. There are a lot of things that Daniel and his friends say yes to. Sometimes, as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, we feel like it's our responsibility to say no to everything, right? To fight everything tooth and nail. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah don't do that. What they do is they they say yes to some things. There are some places where they go, you know what? This isn't a thing we need to fight. It's not a hill we need to die on. But there are definitely other places, and this is important. There are definitely other places where they say no. And they say no in, uncertain, in no uncertain terms. They say no with resolve. In fact, it says in the text, in ver- look at what it says in verse 8. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. If you have a paper Bible in front of you and you can take notes, if you've got a pen, circle or underline or put an exclamation point after that word resolved. It's really important. Daniel determined in advance that he wasn't going to fail this test. I want to tell you right now, Hume Lake 2023, let me just make a prediction in your life. If in the course of your sort of wrestling with what it looks like to be an ambassador of Jesus in this time and place, if you don't resolve, if you don't resolve in advance to pass these kinds of tests, 100% of the time you will fail them. I guarantee you. If you don't determine in advance, part of my hope this week and part of Hume Lake's hope in choosing this theme is that those of you who are followers of Jesus that are sitting here within the sound of my voice, that this week would be a week of resolve for you that you would make a determination this week to say, you know what, I'm going to pass these tests. I am going to honor Christ with my body. I am going to live my life in such a way that the kingdom of God is accurately represented. But if you don't resolve, if you don't decide in advance that that's the kind of woman or the kind of man you want to be as an ambassador of Jesus, you will not pass these tests. When the moment comes up and your friends are looking to see if you're going to laugh or to see if you're going to come to the party or to see if you're going to say the racist, sexist, whatever kind of thing, you will fail the test if you haven't decided in advance, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Daniel and his friends, they say yes to some things. You don't have to say no to everything, but they absolutely say no 
when it's necessary. They know the difference between essential things and non-essential things. Now, when it comes to the food, it says here, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. We don't really know what it was about the food that Daniel and his friends didn't want to eat. There's a couple of different things it could be, or it could be all of them. The, the Jewish people were prohibited from eating, eating certain kinds of foods, right? In Jewish law, there were certain things they couldn't eat. So it's possible that the food that was on the king's table fell into a category of certain kinds of foods that they just weren't permitted to eat. And so they said, no, God has told us we can't eat that. There were also prohibitions in Jewish law for the way certain foods were prepared. So it might not be that the food itself was against God's law. It might be that regular food that would have been fine in any other circumstance was prepared in a way that made it unsuitable and unacceptable. Does that make sense? Or it could have been the wrong kind of food made the wrong way. And there's a third category for the Jewish people. They were also prohibited from eating particular foods depending on the history of where it had been. If that food had been used in a place that was prohibited for them. So it could have had to do with the history of the food. It could have had to do with the way the food was prepared. It could have had to do with the kind of food it was. We don't actually know what category it was that made it a no for Daniel and his friends. All we know is that Daniel and his friends looked at the food that was offered to them and they said, this is a line we can't cross. This is a place we can't go. But what I want you to see is their approach, right? They know the difference between what is essential and what is not. How are you going to pass the test in school? How are you going to pass the test with your peers? How are you going to represent the kingdom of God effectively when, when you're forced to make a decision? The only way you're going to know what to do is if you know what's essential and what's not. So sometimes, I think sometimes as a young person, I remember speakers like me, uh, although I was just like you then, I was just a high school kid, I can remember speakers getting up on a stage and saying like, young people, if you want to be a good Christian, make sure you read your Bible every day, right? And I'd be like, all right, you know, okay. I do want to be a good Christian, I guess I'll read it because you said so, right? Can I tell you, you know, I don't know whether you read your Bibles every day. I don't know whether the Bible matters to you or not. Can I tell you a great reason why an ambassador of Jesus should be studying God's word? It's vital for you to know what your king has said. It's vital for you to know what God has said, what things are important and what things aren't, what things are essential and what things aren't. How are you going to know what to say yes to and what to say no to if you're clueless about what God has said? God, by his grace, has given us his word, and we have the ability to study it. And we don't even have to do that in isolation. We can do it in togetherness. But so often there are Christians whose only Bible intake is when they come to Christian camp or they go to church on Sunday and listen to a pastor. If you're an ambassador of the kingdom of God, you need to know what, what your king says, right? Daniel and his friends have the ability to say no to the food because they know what's wrong and they know what's right. Do you? It's possible, and I'm just putting this out there hypothetically, it's possible that some of you are, are marring the image of Christ in your peer group at home, and you don't even know you're doing it because you don't know what God has said. It's possible that some of you are distorting the reputation of Jesus with your friends, and you don't even know you're distorting the reputation of Jesus because the only things you know about Jesus are things you've heard other people say. You've got to study this stuff. I've got to study it too, right? I've been walking with Jesus since I was 17, and it's no excuse to stop studying. I need to know today how to live like a godly man today because the culture is changing. The world is changing. Technology is changing. The world's getting smaller. Travel, all these things. 
The way I followed Jesus in 2002 is not the same as the way I need to follow Jesus in 2023. I have to stay in his word and I have to be discerning about how to live the life of an ambassador in a way that is relevant today. Otherwise, it's possible to distort the image of Christ and all of a sudden people are like, well, Jesus is, he's hateful and he's judgmental and he's, you know, bigoted and he's all these things. And it's like, wait, that's not what Jesus is like. But sometimes that's, what's, that's what people are like who are doing their own thing in the name of Jesus. Does that make sense? The only way you and I are going to know the difference between what Jesus really said and what Jesus is really like is if we study what he said. We have to be in the book, right? How did Daniel and, and his friends know what to say yes to and what to say no to? They understood what God had said. And so do we. I'm not saying read your Bible because the speaker at camp said so. I'm saying read your Bible because God graciously gave you his word, and it is the way in which to chart the course of your life in any age. That's the reason to read it. Not because somebody asked you to, but because God gave it to you for your good and his glory, right? So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they, they decide to sort of navigate this thing in the middle, and I just want you to look at the way they do it, because there are some things here that are really important. First thing I want you to see, look at this, is that Daniel doesn't say to the chief of the eunuchs, Hey, nobody is allowed to eat the king's food. The first thing I want you to note as we walk through this is that what Daniel does is he says, may I have an exception? May I and my friends have an exception? Now, that distinction might not matter too much to some of you, but let me tell you what I see Christians doing sometime in our world. Sometimes Christians in our world are saying, hey, here's what the Bible says, and everybody has to do it. Everybody has to do what the Bible says. And there are a lot of people out there in the world who are like, we don't care about your Bible. We don't believe in your God. We don't believe in Jesus. Why are you trying to force your stuff on us? Forget that. Daniel and his friends do not try and force things on other people. You know what Daniel and his friends say? They say, may we have an exception. May we adhere to the law of our God, right? And not only do they ask for a personal exception, not only do they ask for the ability to do the thing they're convicted to do, but I want you to also note that they ask, right? So again, that might seem like a subtle distinction, but Daniel and his friends do not insist on eating vegetables. They don't insist that everyone eats vegetables. They don't start to shame and condemn the people who are eating the food from the king's table. You know what they do? They say, this is against our God's law. May we have an exception. And at first, the chief of the eunuchs is like, I don't really want to give you the exception because the bottom line is, I'm going to have to put you in front of the king and he's going to look at you and if you're scrawny, I'm going to get in trouble. So not only does Daniel uh, resolve that he won't defile himself, there's a personal thing he does, right? Not only is it a very personal thing he's leaning into, he asks permission, right? That's number two. And then thirdly, what I want you to see here is that he's sensitive to the eunuch's fears, right? The chief of the eunuchs goes, man, I can't let you eat vegetables because if I do that, I'm going to get in trouble with my boss. I don't want to get in trouble with my boss. And so here's what Daniel does next. Daniel being sensitive to the concerns of this, his captor, right? He's sensitive to the concerns of someone who doesn't respect his God, who treats him like a piece of property. Daniel is sensitive to his concerns and he says, okay, how about this? Why don't you give us a test? Why don't you just give us vegetables and water for 10 days and take a look and see uh, if we look better than everybody else? Now, there's a couple things that are happening there. One, one and I don't want you to miss it, is that he's sensitive to the concerns of someone who doesn't share his faith. Again, this is a thing I think Christians in this day and age miss all the time. 
It feels like the only people we're concerned about are the people that we're in solidarity with, and we have to start seeing solidarity with all mankind, right? So that we can be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Daniel and his friends say, let's do this test. The second thing I want you to see about the test is that it is a demonstration of their confidence in God's power and not their own. When Daniel and his friends say, hey, give us water and vegetables for 10 days and see if we don't look better, they're not saying, we can do it by our own strength. Give us a chance and we will prove ourselves to be powerful men. No, they're saying, hey, you know what? Our God is capable of rocking this thing. Why don't you give him a shot? Watch what our God can do. You want to be a good ambassador of the kingdom of God in the world in which you live? you got to be confident in his power rather than your own. you got to be concerned about the people that you're trying to reach, the people that you're trying to communicate to. We did a thing. Uh, I was working at a church in Long Beach for a little while, and we did this thing. Uh, maybe some of you do this at your church, but we did these, like, homeless care packages. Have you done that? Where you get, like, a, a Ziploc baggie, and you put, like, a pair of socks and a bar of soap and a toothbrush and a razor and just like a bunch of stuff like a Starbucks card and other things that like homeless people can use, right? And we had this whole list of things and we just handed out the list to the people in our church and we're like, go buy this stuff and make these kits in a Ziploc baggie, you know, big old gallon Ziploc baggie, keep it in your glove compartment or the trunk of your car and then whenever you see somebody who's experiencing homelessness, you can pass them this kit and it'll just be like a way to love your neighbor, right? It's just like a very simple way to be kind. So we'd been doing this for about a month, and I had this, uh, this older lady, Mrs. Brown, in Long Beach. She comes to me one day, and she goes, I've been trying to do that homeless care package thing that you suggested, but the homeless people hate it. And I was like, what do you mean they hate it? And she goes, they hate it. Every time I try and give them those care packages, they get mad at me. And I was like, what, what are they mad at? They don't want socks? They don't want shampoo? Like, what? I don't understand. And she goes, no, it's too dangerous. And I was like, what's too dangerous? And she goes, well, once you pack all that stuff into that little baggie, it's like a brick. And I was like, what little baggie? And she goes, you asked me to pack all that stuff into a sandwich bag. It's like a little brick. And she's like, and then I go to the park, and I'm a little scared because I'm 85 years old, so I don't walk right up to the homeless people. I stand at a distance, and I just throw it to them. And she's like, but a lot of times it hits them and they get mad. And I'm like, yeah, you're throwing a brick care package at homeless people in the park. No wonder they're mad, right? Now listen, was her heart in the right place? You bet it was. Her heart was in a beautiful place. Was she actually considering the way in which she was giving the care that she knew they needed? No, she hadn't really thought that through very well, right? You guys, we do this all the time. We have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, and we recognize that other people need to know him, but we haven't really thought through how it's being received. we got to care about the needs of the people that we're called to serve, right? Daniel asked for a personal exception for him and his friends. He asked permission for that. He focused on, on God's power and not his own. He was concerned about his leader's concerns as well. He proposed a test that showed a demonstration of his power uh, the, the confidence of his, his confidence in the power of God. Another thing I want you to note in Daniel's approach is that if Daniel had stopped and said, you know what, we're not eating this crummy food, we're not eating this idol worship food, we don't know where it came from, it's not according to our religious laws, we're not going to do it, there's a chance that if he decided to fight, and we talked about this this morning, there's a chance that if Daniel and his friends had decided to fight, they would have just got killed, right? That the chief of the eunuchs would have been like, dude, you're too much drama, Ugh, and that would have been that, right? What is Daniel's trying to, what, what's Daniel and his friends trying to do? Well, I think there's an overarching uh, uh, philosophy here which says, I'm going to try and have a long-term impact instead of make one short stand. Does that make sense? 
I think a lot of times we try and make one short, sort of powerful demonstration, but we lose the opportunity to build relationship over time with other people. Daniel and his friends are looking at the long game. They're playing the long game to transform people's lives over time. But ultimately, next thing I want you to see here. So they, they propose this test. The steward gives them the test, and at the end of the 10 days, they are more fit than anybody else. Here's what I want you to see that's beautiful about this. Eventually, the steward is persuaded that God's plan is better than his plan. Okay, in this story, eventually, the steward kind of looks at it and goes, you know what, your vegetables and water are better than my plan. But you know what, Daniel and his friends didn't force that down the steward's throat. They allowed the steward to come to that conclusion in his own time. Does that make sense? Did they always know that God's plan was better? They always knew it. Could they have argued with the steward early on? They absolutely could have. But you know what they did? They allowed the steward to come to that conclusion on his own. I think sometimes we sort of falsely believe that we can make other people believe in Jesus. You know you can't do that, right? You know that it doesn't matter how much I want you all to be Christians, how much I hope that all of you this week will immigrate from the kingdom of self to the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how good of a preacher I am, how much studying I've done. It doesn't matter how persuasive I am. I cannot make you believe. I might convince you to act like Christians, but I can't make you believe. Belief is something only you can do yourself. It's interesting to me how often we, as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, function like we can make people believe something. You know you can't, you can't, give it up. Stop trying to make people believe anything. Instead, live a life in front of other people so that they can see your faith and come to a place where they understand the value for them as well. Does that make sense? Where they can see your good deeds, it says in scripture, and glorify your father. The king tested them at the end of this chapter and he found them the best. It wasn't their own self-promotion that did that. It was the king's assessment. They allowed the king to make that assessment. There are all kinds of things in this chapter that sing to me, right? There are all kinds of things about the ways that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah handled this. Listen, did they compromise God's law? No, they didn't. But they, they refused to compromise God's law in an incredible, beautiful, generous, gracious, loving way that actually drew their, their captors towards God in beautiful ways, right? First Peter chapter three, verse 13 says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do you think Daniel and his friends were a little bit scared of Nebuchadnezzar? For sure. Do you think Daniel and his friends were a little bit scared of the chief of the eunuchs or the chief steward of the chief of the eunuchs? Do you think they were scared of these guys? Yeah, they were scary guys. You know who they were more worried about? More than they were worried about Nebuchadnezzar's opinion of them, more than they were worried about the chief steward's opinion, more than they were worried about the chief of the eunuchs' opinion, they were worried about God's opinion. I think sometimes we have to look into our own lives and recognize, like, who is it I'm living for? Am I living for King Jesus or am I living for the culture? Am I living for King Jesus or am I living for me? Who is it ultimately that you're, that you're hoping to please with your life? For those of us who've given our lives to Jesus, we belong to someone else. And so we fear God rather than fearing men. Daniel and his friends had uh, an overarching confidence in God's control, and it freed them from being worried about what their captors would do. 
You and I, it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, are always to be prepared to give an answer. Prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the reason for the hope that is in us, right? We want to be rooted in the teaching of Jesus. I've already talked about this. We have to be rooted in what God has said. When they came to Jesus and they asked him, Master, what's most important? Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 uh, some of the Pharisees and uh, the Sadducees came to Jesus and they said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? They're basically saying, what's the most important thing we need to know? And here's Jesus' answer. This is Matthew 22. He said to them, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. They come to Jesus and they say, what's the most essential? We've got all these laws and all these rules and all these commandments. What's the most important thing, Jesus? And he goes, easy. He doesn't even really look like he's thinking about it very much. Off the top of his head, he goes, simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And then he says, verse 40 of Matthew 22, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus says if we get these two right, you and me, if we love God and we love others, he says everything else will sort itself out. It'll all, it'll all come together if you nail those two. So for you and me, when we're in our different situations, on our sports teams or in the marching band or at our jobs or in our families, in our neighborhoods, wherever you are in your circle and you're trying to figure out what do I say yes to and what do I say no to? How do I honor Christ in my body? How am I prepared to give an answer? How do I know how to live in this culture, to fear God and not to fear men. Well, we can follow Jesus' example, and we can listen to Jesus' teaching where he says, hey, focus primarily on loving God and loving other people, and the rest of this stuff will sort itself out. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Colossians chapter 4 Verse 5 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What's it calling for us to do? Well, it's exactly what Jesus has already said. You're going to nail this as ambassadors, Jesus said. You got this in the bag if you love God with everything you are and you love your neighbor, Right? Conduct yourself with kindness and grace. Live in such a way that even your enemies become your friends, Proverbs says. The, re the, the, re the reality is that you and I have to determine in advance to be resolved to be the people of Jesus in this world. You have to decide now, or you have to decide at some point in advance, because when it comes down to it, and people are looking at you, and they're asking you to compromise... When your boyfriend or your girlfriend is asking you to throw all of your standards into the wind, when your friends are asking you to laugh at something that isn't funny, when the world is telling you to bring your values all kinds of crazy places, you won't take the stand that these young men stand, took unless you've made a determination in advance that you're going to live for God and not for the world. You won't be able to make the right answer in the moment. I, uh, I'll finish with one stupid story. When I first moved to Long Beach, I uh, had to find a new doctor, and I went to the new doctor, and he, he was like doing an interview, like kind of quizzing me, you know, just to get my medical history and whatever, who had cancer and all that stuff, and he, he says, tell me a little bit about your life, and I said, oh, well, uh, you know, I don't know, I like art and music, I go to a lot of concerts, I play a lot of video games, um, I'm into movies and television, I like to read, you know, I read a lot of books, he goes, uh, he's got this clipboard, he goes, oh, so you're basically what we call like a sedentary lifestyle. And uh, 
I, I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't know what that meant, but I just told him that I was artsy and that I was into like literature and movies and that I was into all this kind of artistic stuff. And so without knowing what it meant, contextually, I just thought he was complimenting me for being kind of artsy. So I'm sitting with my brand new doctor and I tell him about my life and he goes, you're what we call a sedentary lifestyle. And my answer was, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that. Thanks so much, doctor, right? I appreciate it. And he just kind of like made a little note and whatever. And then I went home and I'm just like at home uh, being sedentary. And I thought, I don't really know what that word means. You know, like I've, he said, he called me that. It was really nice of him to call me that, but I don't know what it is. And so I Googled it. And if you Google the word sedentary, uh, the definition is a person whose life is characterized by inaction. And then in parentheses, it says couch potato. So check this, you guys. I'm sitting with my brand new doctor, right? And I'm telling him about my life and whatever. I tell him about all my hobbies and all the things I care about. And my doctor basically looks at me and says, sir, you're what we would call a couch potato. And my response was, yeah, I guess you could say that. Thanks a lot, doc. You know, I'm couch potato and proud, you know? The bottom line in that particular test is that I wasn't prepared in advance, and so I tried to wing it, right? I tried to wing it, and I winged it wrong. When it comes to being an ambassador for Jesus, what I hope you'll see in Daniel chapter one is that these guys pass the test. They make a positive demonstration of the power of God, not because they winged it in the moment, but because they resolved themselves to make God and what he has said more important than the opinions of men. And so must we to be ambassadors of this kingdom of God in 2023. I'm telling you, I hope that you'll think about what it looks like to make that kind of resolve in your life as you head back down the hill at the end of this week. Would you pray with me? God, it's a lot. It's a lot for us to think through. It's a, it's a lot to think about our approach to this world and our approach to those who would ask us to make compromises those who don't believe what we believe or think what we believe is stupid or maybe they hate what we believe. God, I pray that you would give us a sense now of what it will take to fear you, to worship you, to honor you, to care more about what you think of us than what the world might say, and to live a life of consideration of the needs of our fellow men and women who maybe don't believe in you yet but desperately need you as much as we need you, that we might love them by loving you well. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.